0: G'day Don's fans and welcome to our round nine preview of Don the Stat. It was so close, but yet so far against Port Adelaide last Sunday, a five-point loss leaving Essendon 4-4 and and ninth on the ladder with a trip to Brisbane to take on the fourth place Lions this Saturday night. I'm Jonathan Walsh and to chat through it all, I'm joined by my co-host Ian Hume.
1: Hume, how's things, mate? A bit under the weather here, Jono, but I'm soldiering on, much like the depleted Bombers are going to have to do on Saturday night. You're making your way up for the game. Are you more excited or nervous about it?
0: No, I'm excited. Uh, yeah, sorry to hear you, you're feeling under the weather, mate. Hopefully that doesn't hang around too long. But yeah, I am excited even despite, and we'll touch on selection a little bit later, despite the players that we've got out, I think it's uh, also a really good op- opportunity to see some of our young players take a bigger role and, and in a year that really is about Finding, you know, where the depth of our list is at, that, that gives us a bit of an opportunity to do that against a really good side. And, and you know, if, uh, on my behalf, I also get to see my brother and my nephews too. So, I'm really excited about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's always um, fun to see you with them. You, they definitely brighten up your your smile. You can sort of tell you've always got a bit more of a spring in your step when you get to see them. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just bonus episode nine is now out on Patreon. Um, it's an interview with Philip Crooks. He was a commentator on the under-18 competition for over a decade. Uh, really good chat. It will become available to all listeners this coming Tuesday. Uh, and John has also put out an excellent explainer video on the Bombers contested work that's available to patrons at The Analyst here.
0: Yeah, thanks, mate. The the key theme of that was just to demonstrate what I think our game plan is built on and and that's maintaining territory in our first half in our front half sorry and, and we structure behind the ball uh, but that of course is really dependent on us winning contested ball and I just wanted to to kind of show you what it was like in the first quarter on on Sunday when we were able to win the contest and win clearance and therefore get territory versus what it was like in the second and third quarter where we weren't able to do that and and ultimately put our defenders under a lot of pressure. So it was really just about showing the contrast contrast between the two. And, yeah, really enjoyed your interview with uh, with Philip, mate. Thanks to Philip for, for joining the show. It was, uh, yeah, really insightful and he's got a lot of knowledge about uh, the under-18 competition in, in years gone by and some of the players that we now see as superstars now so uh, yeah well worth a listen when that comes out on the uh, on the main pod or you can join our Patreon and, and get an early listen to it
1: yeah speaking of joining our Patreon thanks to our new Patreon this week Dimitri Borondanis and also thanks to Up The Plains for their fantastic Apple review once again we really appreciate those kind words it does give you a bit of a lift when you see that and you're a bit under the weather it makes you put a smile on your face let's get on to looking at the Port Adelaide game. Um, we've actually had a power outage at our place this afternoon. And for much of the first half, it was the same on Sunday. Before um, an unfortunate injury and, and Wade of forward entry saw Port just get over the top of the Bombers by five points. Uh, we'll start by going through our thoughts on the match preview and what we, what actually happened with regards to that. So the first thing was to address issues around stoppage. And you sort of touched on it already with the video that you did Um, But we highlighted this as a key as to whether we're going to match Port and give ourselves a chance in the game. As I said, going in, this is one of Port's strengths and it really showed on the weekend. They won stoppage clearances 26 to 17. More importantly, they then turned that advantage into scores. So they scored 39 points from stoppage compared to nine for Essendon. Uh, basically they were generating 1.5 points per stoppage win compared to Essendon's 0.5. So not only winning more stoppage, but they were being more effective with it. So it's been an ongoing issue for some time. What do you think the main driver of it is? Is it a personnel issue or is it a structural issue around the clearance?
0: I think it's a little bit of both, mate. Although if I had to pick between the two, I think it leans a little bit more to, to personnel than it does structure. The first six weeks... We were we were pretty good at stoppages. Yeah, we were plus six in round one, minus six in round two, plus twelve, plus two, minus four, and then plus one. Um, so you know we we were doing okay. We weren't blowing teams out of the water. Uh, um, but uh, other than you know that that loss against the Saints, where we won it quite comfortably. Uh, but we did also get outscored in 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 a couple of those games where we did win the stoppage count. So, uh, you know, scratch the surface a little bit um, further. And even though we were winning more than our fair share, we, we probably weren't getting the quality that we were allowing our opposition to at times. We're not a team that typically likes to push an extra player up to the stoppage. Uh, you know, we either prefer to keep an extra man behind the ball. So if the opposition do roll a plus one up, uh, so one of their half forwards up to the stoppage, we don't typically go and follow we'll we'll set our winger it's normally Durham to kind of uh, you know round that player up and and leave their winger um potentially free or, or in a 2 on 1 and then we'll we'll allow our half back to set up behind the ball so yeah, we don't we don't typically do that, and then we also don't like to roll our own up because uh, you know I suspect the reason for that is that we want to keep even numbers in our forward line and and not give the opposition a plus one. We did we did do that a bit against the Saints, which w- enabled us to win more stoppages. But if you remember, we did kick the ball to you know the likes of Wilkie and Battle a lot, and, and we weren't really able to score. So I, I think our preference is just to try and keep even numbers in our forward line and 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 have a plus one if the opposition allows it in our back half. So. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily think it's structure. I think from a personnel perspective, uh, I think that's where we've been let down a little bit or not let down by the personnel, but just it's a side effect of, of what's happening. We, we've spoken a lot about how we've really just used the four midfielders in our rotations earlier in the year and we wanted to see some change. And we're seeing that now partly forced because of merit suspension. Uh, but what it's meant is that Setterfield's now been pushed out of the midfield. He played the whole game in the wing on the weekend and we've seen Hobbs Perkins and Caldwell spend more time in there which ultimately is a good thing for our longer term development but but not so much for for now. So if we look at center field as the example and and he was that player that comes in with size and and adds that um you know to our midfield and to our clearance set bounce attendances which is an indicator of of the time that he's spent in the midfield from rounds 1 to 5 he averaged 21.4 it's down to 14 in the in the last um Three weeks and and it was right down against the pies and uh, and it was zero on the weekend, and then his stoppage clearance wins are down from two point two over the first five weeks a game to to less than one at 0.7 the last three games contested possessions are also down eight point six to to five point seven so he's not necessarily uh, you know playing bad footy or anything he's just spending less time in the midfield he's being replaced by Hobbs and and Caldwell and Perkins who who won as big and 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 don't have the, the power that he does to to be able to help us as much just yet, but I'm, I'm sure they will one day. I guess the other thing that we've got to weigh us against is, is we played Port who are fourth in the AFL, Geelong who are six and, and the Magpies who are seventh for stoppage differential. So we've also played some good teams and, and, and you know, and <laughs> we played the number one ranked team in that area this week, which is a little bit daunting. Uh, so we haven't played teams that are going to let us get their own way. Right. So, yeah, I, I just think it's, introducing some younger players into the midfield mix at the expense of Setterfield and Shield as well as the other one. Um, and, and I think this is just part of what Brad Scott talks about, another part of it, when he says that we're not going to sacrifice the future for the now. So I, I think he's prepared to to accept that we're going to get a lesser output from Hobbs in the midfield than we are from Setterfield but we need to get Hobbs in there for his development and and for our improvement going forward.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Moving on, the next point we were looking at was to take advantage of turnover. And another thing we spoke about was how difficult Port found to contain sides from defensive 50 turnover, and that was something Essendon could take advantage of. And they did. They scored 4-1 from defensive 50 turnover. So when we caught Port before they had a chance to set up, we were able to take major advantage. You can contrast that with kick-out. So it's obviously another defensive 50 starting point for for a chain. So Port, obviously, with their inaccuracy, gave Essendon 20 opportunities for those set plays, but Essendon could only manage one goal, one from these. And out of those 20, only six times were they able to move the ball past centre without a stoppage or a turnover. So when Port had a chance to set up, such as a kick-out, they made it really difficult for us to move. When we could generate turnover, we could take advantage of it. It wasn't quite enough to get us the win, though.
0: Yeah, I, I think for me, Matt. Again, it speaks to that contested ball and clearance piece. When we were able to win the contest, we were, and when we were able to spread, we were able to get the ball deeper into our uh, our forward fifty. So we were then that then allows us to set up our defence, and it means we're defending from higher up the ground. When we weren't able to do that, it it means that we were defending from you know deep in our defensive fifty, and then that makes it harder to move the ball back up the ground, and and because it makes it easier for Port to set up. We kicked um the two goals for the game from front half turnovers, which which isn't a lot, but we kicked one in the first quarter and one in the last. And those were the periods of the game where we were winning the territory battle. So we were we were defending from our front half instead of you know defending from from kick ins basically. Port Adelaide taking shots missing and then we're we're trying to move the ball back up the ground from there. And I think this is always why why you and I are really big on not looking at individual stats in isolation. Because whilst we we look at it and say, yeah, you know, we scored four goals from from turning the ball over in our defensive fifty, and in isolation, that's a good result. Port Adelaide also kicked three goals two from turnovers they created in in their forward fifty or our back fifty, and and five goals six uh, from front half turnovers. So. In those periods where they were kicking a lot of behinds and, and they were getting deep entries, we just weren't able to to get the ball off our back line. We were turning it over in there half of the ground and, and they were scoring. So, yeah, it, 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 it's that that back half uh, transition ball movement really does rely on us being able to turn the ball over, uh, you know, sort of 40 to 50 metres from goal rather than, you know, trying to
1: move the ball from kick-ins as, as was the case to the large chunks of the game on Sunday. Yeah. Well, the next point was to play a defensive role on Jason Horn Francis. We we highlighted Setterfield or Cordwell to play those those roles, and he wasn't quite as influential as he was the previous week against the Saints. So, for example, he had four hundred fifty eight meters gained from twenty five disposals against the Saints, but only two hundred eighty six from twenty disposals against the Dons. He also had ten less. Contested possessions as well. Uh, he still had five uh, stoppage clearances and seven score involvements, though, which is similar to his numbers against the Saints. Did seem that players like Butters and Rosie managed to get off the chain a bit. Maybe there was a bit of attention played to Jason Horn Francis. Did you notice anything Essendon was doing specifically to him?
0: No, I obviously watched the game on the telly. I didn't get over to Adelaide, so it, I couldn't really pick up too much. It, it looked like he went head to head with Stringer. Uh, for a, a portion of the game dinner, and then Stringer was ultimately needed to play forward a fair bit more once Langford went back. So, uh, yeah, maybe that just at times gave him something a little bit extra to to worry about. But yeah, whilst his influence wasn't you know wasn't as high as it's been in previous weeks, they then had, as you mentioned, Rosie and Butters pop up, and uh, and you know they were two of the more influential players on the ground. So I think you know overall. We clearly lost the the midfield battle, and and that was the the difference between the two sides.
1: Yeah, well, we did also highlight the fact that the key forward support were going to be a big challenge. Obviously, coming off the Geelong game, where where the big forwards had such a key impact there, and we we highlighted the need to have our wings uh, sort of fill the hole between uh, the ball moving into the forward fifty for Port and their big forwards, and we highlighted potentially Langford and Heppel doing that. Uh, yeah, how did you see that play out?
0: Yeah, I think the other thing we spoke about too was um, Zerk Thatcher just taking front position on on Dixon and, and trying to lead him to the ball a little bit. And uh, Dixon, you know, he missed a few shots, but he he only kicked the two goals. And, and you know, we were probably worried going into it that he might kick a bag of, you know, five, six or more. So I, I thought Zerk Thatcher played a, a really good game under a hell of a lot of pressure uh you know <laughs> we, we weren't planning on Jordan Ridley getting you know knocked out behind the ball uh Langford started forward and and you know he was really influential down there before having to move back I, I thought Heppel played a really good game in the back half I, I thought he you know, again, under difficult circumstances that weren't of his doing and and by difficult circumstances, I mean that we conceded 65 inside 50s. That's 10 and a half more than Port's season average. So, you know, they they were just getting a lot of looks. Uh, we also turned the ball over 71 times, which is five more times than our season average. So I thought Heppel led us for intercepts. He used the ball really well. He repeatedly got back in the hole and and helped out in front of Dixon and, and you know, helped out Zirk Thatcher and, and our other defenders. So I yeah, I thought Hep's game was a was a really good one and and it was unfortunate in the end that we needed to put Langford back there for a period because um because of what happened with Jordan Ridley.
1: Yeah, and that sort of leads into our, our final point, which was to really drag A away from places where he could intercept. And speaking of Langford, it was really noticeable how much Essendon were playing through him and how much difficulty that was causing Alyar which then opened up the forward line for scoring opportunities. They did shift Allier to Wiedemann in the second quarter, but as as you said earlier, it was the structural damage to the side caused by Ridley's concussion that allowed Allier to become more influential um, across the rest of the game.
0: Yeah, it had a compounding impact on on all three parts of the ground, didn't it? We we from from that point onwards or or after half time, we saw Langford spend time in the back line. We saw Stringer spend more time forward because Langford wasn't there, which meant he wasn't in the midfield. So yeah, all, all three parts of the ground were were compromised for us. But we also didn't win enough contests and clearance, which meant we weren't getting spread from contests, which meant we weren't able to keep one-on-ones in our forward line, we were getting shallow entries. So we also made it easier for, for Alia and Bergman and, and, and their other defenders. So, uh, you know, the, I think the first quarter is, is kind of a really good display of, of Essen in 2023 at their absolute best. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think there was necessarily a lot that we did terribly wrong in the rest of the game. We are just a little bit undermanned. And and playing a good team that was high on confidence that got their contested game going and and we weren't quite able to match it with them for for long enough and yeah worked our way back into it in the in the last quarter but but couldn't quite do enough to to win the game.
1: Yeah. Well, look, let's not dwell on the Port game any longer, and we'll start turning our attention to the Lions before we get to uh, this weekend. What are some of your memories of Essendon playing against Brisbane?
0: Yeah, man, I had four that, that came to mind. Sorry I'm being a little bit greedy, but, uh, uh, you know, there, there's three sort of forms of the, the Brisbane Lions, isn't there? I, I remember beating the Brisbane Bears by 116 points when I was a, a young bloke at the MCG in, in 1993. So um, Brad Plain kicked four in that game, which ended up being, I think, maybe second or third last game for Essendon and uh, and a young Nathan Buckley. It was the first time I saw him in the flesh, so it was his debut year in, in 93. He got one Brownlow vote, so I, I remember that one. Uh, it's hard not to forget the last time we played Brisbane as the Bears. That was that qualifying final up at the Gabba in 1996. Uh, Gavin Wanganine's near miss at the end of the game. We lost by a point, which ended up being... Uh, uh yeah, the, the first of what was to be two one-point losses in the in the 1996 final series.
1: Yeah, I've, I've said before, that's moments, one of my earliest football memories with Wangadeen missing that that shot. It uh, wasn't a good month to start remembering what was happening in the football, what with the Swans loss a fortnight later and then Wangadeen going to port. So, you know, bit of disappointment early there.
0: Yeah, it was. It was, a, a, yeah, as a... a you yeah, know, relatively young guy at the time. I, yeah, I remember being pretty distraught both by the finals results and then losing my, uh, yeah, one of my favourite players. So that that wasn't great. Uh, and then, yeah, the other one that, that sprang to my mate wasn't so much for the game itself, but um, Fitzroy is obviously the other part of, uh, you know, they're the Lions in, in the Brisbane Lions, of course. And, and I remember uh, playing them at Princess Park in round 2, 1993. And I, I don't remember anything of the game itself. Uh, I know we lost by a couple of goals. But I do remember it being uh, Tim Watson's 300th game. He, he sort of he finished 1993, sorry, round two 1994. I should say uh, he finished 1993 on on two ninety eight games, and then you know squeezed another couple of games out of himself to get to that 300 milestone. So yeah, that that one sticks out. I remember him, you know, holding hands and, and running through the banner with with Job and um, and and his daughters, and uh, yeah, it was good to see such a, a hero and an Essen champion get to the 300th game milestone just to show me couldn't win for him and then uh the last one that sticks out mate was our our win up against the brisbane lions at the gabba last season uh that's obviously in recent memory and and fresh but yeah touched on my nephews before it's the first time i I went to the footy with my youngest nephew hudson so uh yeah he was three at the time and uh wasn't his first game but it was the first game that i went to with him so that was uh
1: yeah a a nice memory yeah and i as a, uh, we'll touch on that Brisbane game a bit later on when we, we sort of reflect back. But let's look at Brisbane a bit more generally now. So, Brisbane spent three consecutive years in the top four from two thousand eighteen, uh, 2019 to 2021. They did drop back slightly last year in the regular season, finishing sixth. But they still managed to make a preliminary final where they were comfortably disposed of by Geelong. So, they've been up and about for for quite a while now. Now, they did have a slow start, a 1-2 start, but they've won their last five games, and their only, they're only side to beat Collingwood, and then they've also beaten North Melbourne, Freo, GWS, and Carlton, and then their other victory has been against Melbourne. So, some pretty good sides there that they've got as scalps. Uh, losses have come to Port Adelaide in round one, and the Bulldogs in round three. So one thing that's really defined the Lions is that they've been a high kick to handball ratio side, and that's continued this year. So they've got a ratio of 1.88 kicks to handball, every handball. That's the second highest in the competition, and they were 1.83 last year. So they're going even higher with, with the kicking game. Now, their propensity to kick does open up opportunities on intercept for opposition sides. So they do have a negative differential there. They can see 2.75 more intercept possessions than their opponents, and that's the fourth worst in the competition. So something to think about. Well, they are excelling, and you brought this up a bit earlier, is the clearance. So they're the fifth-ranked side at centre clearance, so they win 1.125 more than their opponents. Uh, Essendon is seventh at that. But the big concern for Essendon uh, is that Brisbane are the number one stoppage clearance side, so they have a differential of plus 5.5. Uh, just a as, as side, after this week, Essendon will have played five of the top seven stoppage clearance sides in the comp. Only Bulldogs and North Melbourne left of those sides. So this is a massive improvement on them for last year, where Brisbane ranked 8 with only plus 0.2 per game. So it's an area they've really worked on and it's really shown in their results. This has come from improvements from Lockie Neal and Oscar McInerney winning more stoppage clearances, but the additions of Josh Dunkley and Will Ashcroft have also been influential there.
0: Yeah, they have, haven't they? I, I guess like Cedarfield has for us, uh, Dunkley's given them that size and, and defensive in their in their midfield, which was an area that they weren't um you know they weren't strong in and was probably a bit of a missing link for them, you know, like us, albeit they've been at the pointy end of the ladder, they they have had a you know a somewhat smaller midfield compared to to some of the other uh teams and, and not one that was really now known for its defensive efforts. So Dunkley gives them that he can also push forward and 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 mark and kick goals and and also push back and, and get behind the play as well a little bit. Uh and then yeah, Ashcroft's just a fantastic young player, isn't he? he? Sort of played a little bit of everywhere. You know, started a bit at halfback and and now moved more into the midfield and playing there. And, and he's just got class and skill. And uh, you know, he's already proving to play beyond his age. And uh, you know, I think there's a lot of talk about uh, some of the other rising stars in the competition. But yeah, his name very much belo- uh,
1: deserves to be in, in contention for for winning that award at the end of the year. Absolutely. And I guess Dunkley and Ashcroft are really being part of that big effort over the off season to improve their lists. Obviously, they brought Dunkley in from the Bulldogs and, and Gunston from the Hawks with trades. Uh, Connor McKenna came as a supplemental pick, and it was a really good year for them to expend their trade capital. You already mentioned Will Ashcroft at number two. They also had Jasper Fletcher at number 12 as two father-son picks. So trading out your first rounders uh, in this year is, a, is pretty good business when you've got those sort of players coming in. Fletcher is not yet to make his debut, Uh, as you've pointed out, Ashcroft has made a strong start. He's averaging 22 disposals with four clearances and four and a half score involvements a game. Uh, Also, Dunkley has been a standout player. Um, He's basically taken the spot of Jared Lyons and he's been far more effective than Lyons was in that role. He's having a career best year when it comes to tackles and clearances. And as you sort of pointed out, these are areas that Brisbane haven't always been known for in past seasons. Uh, Gunston's been a solid citizen for them. He demands respect in a stacked Lions forward line. They're one of those sides that, you know, you can't just sit on one or two players. They've got five or six players that are going to be threats. So Gunston just adds to that. McKenna hasn't quite got back to his 2019 heights for the Dons, um, but he is having a career best year in terms of intercepts and inside 50. So, again, you know, really, they they didn't really lose anything. They dare McStay left. But other than that, none of their outs have, have really hurt them much. So Mitch Robertson retired. Tom Berry was traded to the Gold Coast. So basically they've kept the core of what was already a strong side together and they've added talent all around the park, again, which helps explain why they continue to perform at a high level after five years.
0: Yeah, I think Mitch Robertson would disagree that that he retired. I think he feels like he was he was delisted. and uh, Yeah, I, I think Dan McStay is an, an interesting one. I, I'm tempting fate here. I know that... Um, and you know this isn't a Brisbane Lions show, it's an Essendon one, but I, I do think their forward line has lost some balance without him because Gunston's come in, replaced him, and he's a different player. The benefit has been that they now use Danaher as their second ruck, and I think that suits them more. But uh, him and Hipwood, who were both in very good form, are are relatively similar players. So I think um, even though we're a bit undersized today, oh, sorry, this week, and, and we'll talk again about that later, I, I think... Danaher and Hipwood are, are matchups that we can, I think, cope with better than than what we might have been able to, to do with someone like McStay, McStay given that our lack of height. But yeah, we'll touch on that later.
1: Yeah. Well, look, let's reflect on the last time Essen played Brisbane. And as you mentioned, it was a match that you went up for. Brisbane 13 12 90, lost to Essen 15 10 100. Uh, so people, will, when reflecting on that match, will bring up the COVID issues that Brisbane had. But they still had the majority of their midfield and forward line available to them. So it was only their back line that really suffered significant outs. Um, And one of the reasons Essendon was so successful was they were able to match Brisbane in the clearances. So that was 35 apiece. And then from there, Essendon was able to control the ball around the ground a lot better and deliver the targets inside 50. So Essendon had 18 marks inside 50 to 9. And again, you could probably put that down in part to the depleted Lions back line. But Essen also won the contested possession and the tackle stat, which is a rare combination. If you winning contested possession, that suggests you're first to the ball and you're not tackling if you're first to the ball. So, you know, that was a, considering that the Lions midfield was at its regular strength, that, again, that was a, a real positive in that match. Jai Caldwell was the standout. He had 27 possessions and a goal, whilst also limiting Lockie Neal to only 21 disposals. Uh, and then in the forward line, Langford kicked four and right five. Essen um, were also able to limit the impact of Danaher, Hipwood, and Cameron. Each of them only managed to goal that game.
0: Yeah, um, they were depleted down back. Harris Andrews didn't play, but but Payne did, who's you know one of their important key backs. And, and Marcus Adams played that game too, so they still did have two you know high quality key defenders. Albeit Payne's improved a lot this year from where he was at last year, uh, but Paris didn't play for us either in that game last year, so. You know, our, our midfield was was down one, and it will be again this week. We had set a field. day at Dunkley. Um, you know, granted, we did have Wright and Laverde and Ridley and Kelly and a few others, but I think purely from a midfield battle, uh, which was where we, you know, we won the game last year, and and where the difference will be this week, I think. Uh, uh, yeah, not a lot changes between the two sides other than field and, and Dunkley coming in. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how it all unfolds. But speaking of
1: uh, selection, I think that leads pretty nicely into that, mate. Yeah, so Brisbane have just continued to strengthen their side. They've brought Dane Zorko in. Uh, out's gone Noah Answorth and Jared Lyons has been admitted he was a sub. Uh, the emergencies for them are Kalamachi Nakia, Cockatoo, Noah Ainsworth, and Darcy Fort. So one of them to act as the sub. Uh, just doing a bit of research on Brisbane's injury list, they could fit in a phone booth at the moment. It's uh, Daniel Rich is the only unavailable for the Lions. Uh, any thoughts on on this side they selected?
0: Yeah, I think Zorka would still have to be under some sort of cloud. It was he? he? he missed. Only the one week, I think, in the end. Um, I haven't checked that, so someone's probably going to pick me up if I got that wrong. But I feel like he was expected to be out for a little bit longer than he was. So, uh, uh, who knows? Um, he might be a little bit underdone or, or, or may well be a late change. But, yeah, I imagine, you know, they've, they've got three running players. I wouldn't think Darcy Fort will be their sub. I'd imagine it'd be one of Archie, Cockatoo or or Answorth. So, uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll wait and see. But, yeah, wouldn't mind swapping injury lists with them.
1: No, Absolutely. Uh, So looking at Essendon, then uh, in's uh, Kane Baldwin and Sam Durham coming back from suspension. Uh, Out goes Jake Kelly, who has had a delayed concussion. Uh, Jordan Ridley, who had a non-delayed concussion and Darcy Parrish, who who did a carpet training. So uh, emergencies are Will Snelling, Patrick Voss, Rhett Montgomery, and Massimo D'Ambrosio, with Jai Menzi, who was the sub, maintaining his spot. So we talked about Brisbane's injury list being able to fit in the phone booth while the clubs had to go down to budget rental to pick up a minibus for our injury list. Um, Pleased to see Baldwin get a chance, although it's going to be a shame not seeing Zach Reid out there for the foreseeable future. What's the odds that, you know, 10 minutes after Ridley gets knocked out, Reid does a hamstring in the VFL. So, you know, someone's obviously walked under a ladder at the club this past week. Uh, Durham's obviously an obvious in. And we've really gone heavy with the small forwards. So, we've gone three in the starting side with with Menzi, Davey, and Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody. Uh, that suggests to me it's unlikely that Snelling will be the sub. You can't imagine they'd bring in the fourth small forward. Um, so, I expect it to be D'Ambrosio, although they may potentially debut Montgomery there, so if they do feel the need to and they do have the option to use it as a tactical rather than injury sub, they can swing Montgomery onto the ground in the back line and that can mean Langford may go forward as I I suspect Langford will have to play back this week.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think, yeah, I can't see it being Snelling given... That we've got the plethora of small forwards already in the 22. Uh, I, I, it doesn't make sense that you would play Voss as a sub, as a, as a key forward. uh D'Ambrosio gives us a running option and a kicking option and, and can play wing and, and play half back and place forward if we, if it's needed there and, and we can move some things around. Um, I, I'm a little bit surprised that Montgomery wasn't in the, the 22. I thought he might be a, albeit a, a tough challenge on debut. It might be a good matchup for someone like a Jack Gunston, but um, that's not to be the case. i, I I don't know how how they would feel or the club would feel about debuting a guy. I I know we've done it before but um, as a sub, but it would make some sense to give us that flexibility there, knowing that we've got some other guys within the team that we can move around as well. So, uh, yeah, I... As I've said to you previously, mate, I've, I've given up predicting selection. It's um, it's a tough ask. So, yeah I'll, yeah, I'll just wait till
1: Saturday. Yeah, at least we've got the 22 this time and not picking from an extended bench. Usually our extended bench predictions are woefully inadequate. So, you know, we can only get one thing wrong this time as opposed to three or four. Yeah, that that's true. Where, uh, yeah, and I'm sure we'll still get it wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, look, let's just reflect on Brisbane's last game. So, they had a good victory. Uh, away to Carlton. So uh, eleven eight seventy four. Carlton lost to Brisbane 15-10, 100. It was a bit of a seesawing opening half, but Brisbane broke the game open in the third quarter with five goals to none, and that allowed them to run out comfortable 26-point winners. It really seemed to be a match where Carlton messed around with the ball. And as we sort of pointed out, the Lions were much more direct with their ball use. They had five more stoppage clearances and 12 marks inside 50 to eight. And for me, those were the key statistical differences between the two sides. Uh, we've spoken about him already, but Josh Dunkley was the best of field. He posted a quadruple double. So 22 kicks, 11 handballs, 11 marks, and 13 tackles, whilst also limiting Patrick Cripps to 17 touches. So a pretty outstanding game there i imagine if you give all six brownlow votes to one player you might give it to him for that game uh but you know brisbane small forwards also ran right so cameron and bailey both kicked four goals there
0: yeah it wasn't a game that's going to live in the memory banks for for a long time for me um, I, it didn't live up to any real great heights i didn't think it um uh, you know cameron and bailey were were really good to watch and, the, and they put the foot down didn't they and, um uh, you know, where when Carlton was sort of challenging, they, those two just hit the scoreboard and, and and really took the game away from the Blues. I, I guess probably the best thing to come out of the game was it's always kind of nice to watch Carlton lose a game. So um,
1: that was probably the highlight for me, mate. Yeah, uh, no complaints for me on that. And hopefully in a few weeks, we'll be watching them again lose a game. But we'll focus on the game against Brisbane. Now, uh, after all the news of selection, there's, there's been a fair bit of doom and gloom out there in the Essendon fandom, but one thing you're really good at, Jono, is giving us hope about how the Bombers can potentially match the best sides. What things are you watching for this week and, and how do you think the Dons can beat the Lions?
0: Yeah, I, I think there's a few things. Brisbane haven't been great at running games out this year. They're, they've only won the three last quarters. So I think, and we've done a, a reasonable job of, of running games out. Obviously we got overran by the pies uh, and and we I think I'm pretty sure from memory we lost the last quarter against Melbourne where we had the, the sort of the game in in the bag. But other than that, we've won five of our eight last quarters where where Brisbane have only won the three and, and their percentage in last quarters is down at 80%. So for a high-scoring team, then, you know, I know they've had some games where they've been ahead and, and whatnot. But, yeah, I, I think they're a little bit getta- gettable there. But that aside, there's a lot of areas that, that Brisbane do really, really well. And um, I, I won't list all of them because I think if I did – that would leave, leave us all feeling a little bit overwhelmed and, and feeling like we've lost the game before it's even started. But they're the number one team for in the AFL for clearances and clearance differential. They're the third highest scoring team in the AFL. Yet they have the, the fewest disposals. So, you know, as you mentioned with their kick-to-handball ratio, they're really direct with the footy and that's built off, you know, the back of them winning clearance and then getting the ball into their, their you know, key forwards and then also some smaller forwards that are really good overhead. They're second in the AFL for for marks inside 50, which again is a little bit daunting given our lack of um, our lack of key defenders this week. Brisbane are the number one team at scoring from forward 50 stoppages and they had the fifth most stoppages in the AFL. So they're happy to create stoppages around the game, around the ground uh, and and and, you know, really build their game off the back of that. They're, they're third in the AFL for front half intercepts resulting in scores. And then there's second best in the AFL for scores conceded per inside 50 conceded. So uh, it's a little bit of a long winded uh, way to say that um, they're, they're the second best in the AFL for basically stopping scores when the opposition get the ball in their defensive 50.
1: Yeah. Well, look, that's stoppage. What about on the outside? Is there potentially a chink in the armour there?
0: Yeah, I think they're really gettable on on the outside, mate. They they create turnover at least to me, to to the eye, um, more so through their system and structure and setup rather than than tackles and pressure. Uh, you know, they rank seventeenth in the AFL for tackles. They they rank fourteenth for tackles inside fifty. They concede the most uncontested possessions in the AFL, uh, but concede the twelfth most marks. So. They're not allowing teams to kick and mark. Uh, what where that uncontested differential is coming from is through handball. So, they their handball differential is is minus fifty four a game, which is eight, last in the competition. The, the Suns are second last at at minus twenty eight. So you know, almost double um, is the gap between eighteenth and seventeenth there. Uh, which, you know, is a bit of a nothing stat in its own right. And and part of that is because they don't handball a lot as themselves. As you said, their kick to handball ratio is low. They rank 80 for handball. So you know, that the differential is partly low because of that. Part of it's also because this is their system's designed to force opponents into handball. They like to to run and spread and, and kick from stoppage and and if they don't win it, they're really quick to lock it down and force another stoppage, which is why their stoppage numbers are quite high. And, and that lends itself to sort of forcing oppositions into in close handball and trying to handball their way out of that immediate pressure from stoppage. But I also think it's the way that teams try to take on Brisbane. And, and I think that it's something that we're going to need to do. Uh, in that round 17 win that we we talked about, we had 41 more handballs in that game. So I, I think that that run and carry, getting the ball to the outside and, and, and moving it forward by hand is... Um, is something that we're going to need to do to to be able to score effectively against
1: Brisbane. Mm. Well, what about some of the individuals that that make up that midfield? What do you notice about how they play? Yeah, look, it, it, it's a big if because
0: we said the same thing last week, didn't we? That that we need to win contested ball, but but if we can do that and we can get the ball onto the outside, and and it doesn't always have to be clean. I think we we need to be prepared to scrap and and get territory through kicks off the ground and knock-ons. You know, I think of Draper in the last quarter last week where he was prepared to just, you know, soccer the ball and kick it forward and move it forward and, and Stringer was a little bit the same. Uh, so if we can do that, I, I don't think they chase and pressure at the same level that some of the best teams do. I still think for me the gap between them and the likes of, you know, Geelong and Melbourne is that their defensive pressure levels aren't as high as, as the very, very best teams in the competition even though they've batted Dunkley, um, so you know Dunkley is the exception. I think of the their midfielder that runs both ways. He he ranks number two in the AFL for defensive half pressure acts. For context, Merish uh, Merish Merit and Parish. I, I combine the two of them, um, but they're equal tenth in the AFL. So you know they they sit at the same level. Um, and then Lockie Neal is 17. So he does a little bit of it, but mostly for him, it happens around stoppages where the ball's in his error. He doesn't really run and chase and pressure and, and push back all that hard into their their defensive 50. Uh, center field is 24th in the AFL. They don't have another midfielder in the top 90 in the AFL. So it does drop away a lot after that. Um, and then in terms of their forwards, they have Zach Bailey who ranks 30th in the AFL for for pressure acts. This is pressure acts in general, not, not defensive half. So, so all around the ground. And then Charlie Cameron is there next at 109. They they only have two forwards out of their you know the the abundance of small forwards who appear ahead of Elwood Davy Junior for Pressure Axe Elwood's missed some footy as we know he hasn't played every game um, and and he ranks 213th in the competition so they only have two inside the top 213 in the comp so they're not a uh, they don't have forwards that that are known for for pressuring and chasing and, and, and running and, and defending on the way out. And, and they also don't get a lot from their outside mids and, and wingers either. So yeah, we're not, we're not exactly excelling in those areas either. You know, we're, we're not the best defensive team in the competition and, and our numbers aren't great. Our, our individual numbers aren't, aren't amazing, but this is where I think we can get them and, and we have to get the ball onto the outside, prepare to take a risk with the ball in hand and get that run from behind. And I think if we can do that, we can get some clean space and and win that territory battle and get
1: the ball long into our forward line. Yeah. All right. Well, what does that mean for the matchup and tactics going into the game?
0: Yeah, well, let's start down back, mate. So I, I know, uh, and I, I tend to agree, but we we address this as what you and I would do rather than uh, what we, th- this isn't a prediction part of the show. We're, we're not trying to predict what we think Brad Scott will do. So, uh, look, I think it's probably likely that Langford will play back. He, he was named there. Not that that means a lot, um, but I'm going to play him forward and I'll, I'll touch on that a little bit later, but I'm going to play Durham at half back this week. I think we need to. We're going to need to play Redmond taller, given the players that we've got available. So he would seem to be the matchup for Gunston. At you know at 193 centimeters, at Gunston compared to Redmond at 187. Uh, you know it's it's a bit of an ask, but but Gunston's not a a, a sort of a dominant dominating contested mark type. He's a he's a lead at the footy. Redmond will be able to get him for closing speed. Um, so what that does with Redmond being more defensive and more accountable. Is it means that we're down one of our really explosive runners from halfback. And given how important that run and carry and handball is going to be, if we can't, if if Redmond's going to be pushing deep, I think we need Durham back there to help. He he does give us some help in the air too, which is the justification for playing Langford back there. I think we can get that out of Durham instead. Uh, but it also gives us another option, along with Hind, to to run and carry from our back half. And as I said, given Redmond's likely to have to play deeper in defence on Gunston, and, and and McGrath will too, given that he's the likely matchup for Charlie Cameron. I think we need Durham back there, so that we've got him and Hind as as two options to give us through run and
1: carry to start those defensive chains. Mm. Well, that does take Durham away from the wing. What was it going to mean for how we set up on the wing opposite to Martin and the midfield?
0: Yeah, so we've we've picked four specialist forwards in our forward line in Wiedemann, Davey, Davy Menzi and Walla. I, I know you know Davy gets up the ground a little bit and and played his junior footy through the midfield, but for all intents and purposes for for this week, I think we can consider him as a forward. Uh, and I'm playing Langford there as well. So so that gives us five genuine forwards. And it also means that we've got our second ruck playing there at times as well. So what that does mean is that we we don't need our midfielders in the forward line as much as we have in previous weeks. So I think Stringer and Perkins will, will rotate through the forward line and the midfield. Uh, we also... Yeah. So we have those two guys. We also have Hobbs, Caldwell, Merritt, Shield, and Setterfield playing through the midfield as well. And, and Martin, as you mentioned on other, on the other wing. So we do have lots of midfield options to run through there that probably aren't going to be needed in the forward line as much as they have been in previous weeks. So I think we can rotate our, our mids through the other wing. So, you know, Shield and, and Perkins and, and, and even Merritt at times, I think can just rotate through there and, and cover that part of the ground and, and, um, and give us some real run and, and damage on the outside I think that explosive speed of, of shield could be really important out on a wing I think um I, I think uh, merits foot skills on the outside could be really important as well so I, I'm pretty comfortable with that I think centerfield and, and stringer just need to add size particularly with Dunkley providing that for them so I think we, we need to make sure we got one of them in there at, at, at most of the time um, to compete with him and, and keep Dunkley away from the contest as much as possible and, and, and off balance and then I think this just is the week to go back to our old one wood from last year and send Caldwell to Neil and and just try and lock him out of the game. Neil leads them for score launches, which as we've mentioned previously for most teams, it tends to be a Ruckman who does that because the hit out is often the the start of a scoring chain. Um, He leads them for center clearances. He leads them for stoppage clearances. He leads them for contested ball. Um, We know, Caldwell can lock down and get the footy himself. But even if he doesn't do that and he just nullifies Neil and, and we get a break even, then I think that becomes a big advantage for us given what it takes away from Brisbane.
1: Yeah, and, and then forward, you've already mentioned you're going to keep Lankford there. How do you deal with uh, Brisbane's key backs and, and their interceptors?
0: Yeah, I, I am, man. I, I think it's important... Because of the reasons that we saw in quarter one last week with the Um Payne and, and Harris Andrews have had really good sa- seasons. Harris Andrews is back to, you know, his his best form.ing I reckon he's just sort of got lost there for a couple of years, but but he's back to to his very best. They're number one and two at Brisbane, respectively, for intercept marks, and they're fourth and twelfth, respectively, in the AFL. So you know they're they're among the best at doing that. Harris Andrews is their number three for score launches. So he's not just getting intercept marks, he's, he's intercepting and then uh, setting them up in, in terms of being able to score. And he's, in fact, the number one key defender in the IFL, equal with Darcy Moore for score launches. So, uh, you know, he he's doing a really good job in that area. He is vulnerable in one-on-ones though. So I, I think it's important that that we have Wiedemann, Phillips slash Draper and, and Langford there to keep their... Defenders accountable in one-on-one situations. Stringer's going to play a role in this as well. There's 27 defenders in the AFL that average three or more defensive one-on-one contests a game. So we don't see a lot of one-on-one contests anymore in in the AFL. It's it's a lot more about system and creating, you know, um, two-on-ones and and out numbers. So we don't see a lot of it. But um, yeah, 27 in the AFL uh, that that average more than three a game, and Harris Andrews is one of those. Of those twenty-seven, he he concedes or, or has the the highest, um, the eighth highest uh, contest loss ratio. So, so yeah, of, of those twenty-seven, there's only seven that lose more one-on-one contests than him on average. So he is really vulnerable in in one-on-ones, and and you know you see that when he plays. His body language can also be quite bad when he does lose one-on-ones. It kind of does permeate in the way that he carries himself, and that can have a bit of an impact on on their team as well. So, I think we we need to keep their defenders separated, and I think our, the best opportunity to do that is to play Langford forward. And we're going to be weak down back. We know that we've got a lot of defenders out. We don't have a lot of height down there, and that's going to be the case whether Langford plays back or forward. I think my theme for this week is let's not create two weaknesses for ourselves in trying to to fix one weakness let's play to to the strengths that we've got and and hope that we can do enough in the midfield and in the forward half of our ground not to allow them uh easy ball into their into our back line into their forward line and and make the job harder than it needs to be for our defenders and i think in taking langford away from our forward line we run the risk of doing that because we we won't have the separation that we need to to hit one on one targets in our forward 50
1: yeah Well, look, heaps to ponder and and think about there. You've done a really thorough job there, and we'll obviously refer back to a lot of these points when we review the game next week. But, look, let's finish on a bit of a positive note uh, in our final thought. Uh, So I want you to finish this thought for me, Jono. If Essendon can pull off a win here, it will be. If Essendon can pull off a win from here, uh, it will be hard to slow
0: me down in Brisbane on Saturday night. So if you are in town, find me, because I'll be up for just about anything. But, yeah, I, I... I think it I won't go as far as saying it'll be defining but I think what it will do is it will just somewhat fast track the belief that the playing group has in what Brad Scott and and our our administration are trying to do with resetting and rebuilding the culture of of the club I think it builds you know real belief in the group that that we've got a a, a plan and and we're building towards something that's going to be sustainable so I think it's um yeah, I think it has the ability to to have a huge impact on the culture of the club going forward if we can get a win here.
1: Hmm. I did say earlier on Twitter that um, if we do uh, manage to get a win here, it's the moment people will be talking about as the starting point for when we go on to win the flag this year. So uh, that's my view. <laughs> but we'll see. It might be a bit hyperbolic there, but, you know, never stranger things have happened.
0: Uh, yeah, stranger things have happened. That, that would be one of the stranger ones, though. But, yeah, I agree. Never say never absolutely
1: well look thanks everyone for tuning in this week uh once again uh bonus episode nine will be out this Tuesday and then we'll be back with the Richmond preview on Thursday night any final words from you Johnny Uh, No, mate, just uh, check out the
0: the interview with Phil when it comes out. Uh, Great job on that, mate. Uh, You're you're fast becoming uh, one of my favourite interviewers. So uh, yeah, really good job, mate. Um, I I really enjoyed listening to that one. Uh, It also helps that I don't have to listen back to myself. So I think I also enjoy that part. But yeah, Phil has a, a really good story to tell. So uh, Don's fans, go and, and check that out when it comes out next Tuesday and, and give it a listen. But yeah, looking forward to getting up to Brisbane and and yeah, genuinely excited to see what some of our young guys can do with with more responsibility through the midfield. So yeah, we'll
1: we'll wait and see how we go. Absolutely. Well, look, thanks for tonight, mate. Have a safe flight and say hi to the family. Thanks again, everyone, and go Don's.